Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You know what it is, episode 64, for the love of the game, let's rock. Talk to me, man. It's your boy, Young Hope, we turn them off, noise up. We can get right into the proceedings this evening. The headphones are distorting, bring it down a little bit. Okay, now we working with it. Boy, face up and baseline, baby. Baseball. Welcome to New York City. It's your boy, Young Ho. Kanye West on the track. Chi-Town. What's going on now? Can I talk to y'all for a minute? Let me talk to y'all for a minute. Just give me a minute of your time, baby. I don't want much. Let me talk these more. Uh, guess who's Bizak? You still smell it in my clothes. Don't make me have to relapse on these... Take it back out the tax in the road When I was hugging it Couldn't do nothing with it Straight from the oven with it Came from the dirt I emerged from it all without a stain on my shirt You could blame my old earth For the shit she instilled in me Still with me Pain plus work She made me milk this game for all it's worth That's right This can't with me I'm calling guts every time Drag my every time, homie We make a great combination, don't we? Me and the face mob Every time we face off all right, all right, all right. Welcome back. It is your boy ATH back in the studio, back behind the mic, episode 64 for the love of the game. I know we're in Thanksgiving week, which means football, but I promised a big NBA show, and that's what's coming tonight. Also, the Thanksgiving Day slate of NFL games are absolutely horrible, just putrid. Lions, Bears at 12:30. No thanks. Cowboys Bills is a little interesting, and the Saints Falcons, well, no thanks either. Thanksgiving is one of my favorite days of the year. Your boy does a big workout in the morning, big time workout, uh, tries to get a post-workout steam room session in, feel all nice, feel all loose, and then he eats himself into a food coma basically the rest of the day, where I end up in the fetal position watching the 8 p.m. football game. It's glorious, but anyway, yeah, this Thursday slate of NFL games absolutely stink. But before going deep into NBA stuff, two things needed to get out of the way. Uh, A few NFL notes. Uh, Number one, Lamar Jackson is a damn monster. I mean, holy cow, is he a monster. Two, the Rams look really, really ugly right now. It It looks bad. I mean, the offensive line, Jared Goff, Sean McVay, what's going on over there? The, uh... The post uh, Super Bowl uh, year after Super Bowl run, the curse the curse seems to live on. Uh, three shout out to my man Sam Darnold. I gotta give him some props here. He's been on a crazy tear lately. Uh, the Jets have dropped thirty four points each of the last three weeks, and he's played really really well. And they beat a Raiders team that is a playoff hopeful team. So it's not just been all cupcakes. Now. Again, I don't buy him as anything more than mediocre long-term, but credit, credit is due. And also, shout-out to Sam Darnold for going out after a, a big win on Sunday, ending up at bounds, apparently had a couple of drinks, and, quote, made out with some with some girl uh, and left at 12.30. Good for you, Sam Darnold. The New York Post trying to get a juicy headline, but you know what? Good for you. You're the quarterback of the New York Jets. You can't get mono a second time. Go out for it. Just just live life, dude. And number four, the Giants are terrible. 
And that brings me to ATH's picks, uh, the pick five for this week. I was 3-2 and two last week, so now we're 29-31 and 31 on the year. I was feeling great, 3-1 and one going into the Sunday night game. And then Aaron Rodgers decided to throw for only 104 yards. The Packers got absolutely creamed and roasted by the San Francisco 49ers. So with that being said, still a little momentum going. 3-2 and two last week. Hopefully you can get another plus 500 week this week. Weeks 12 Pick five, here we go. At one, I got the Browns minus two. Now, could Cleveland be hitting its stride a little bit late in the year? Maybe. But I just don't see Pittsburgh scoring enough points. It doesn't matter who's playing quarterback. It doesn't matter they're at home. I can't see them scoring enough points. Browns minus two, even on the road. At two, Tampa plus one. Now, I'm a little surprised by this line. Tampa is a little crazy. I mean, Jameis Winston, he can throw two picks every game, but he also throws for a crazy amount of yards, and he puts up touchdowns. Uh, And they can score points. They can put up points in bunches. Jacksonville really can't do that. Uh, So I'm riding with Tampa here. I'm actually shocked Tampa isn't favored outright. At three, I've got Seattle minus three. I'm still not buying the Vikings just yet. I think this is where the spiral starts. Kirk Cousins in prime time. The numbers haven't been great over his history. Yeah, he played well against the Dallas Cowboys. I think the Seattle uh, home field advantage may come into play here. Jadavion Clowney is coming on for the defense. I don't bet against Russell Wilson, so I like Seattle minus three. At four, the Titans plus two and a half. Tennessee has been excellent since Ryan Tannehill told took over at quarterback. The Colts are banged up. I like Tennessee here, even on the road. And at five, I know they hurt me last week, but I'm riding the Dolphins again, plus nine, a home underdog, high line, and the Philadelphia Eagles have no wide receivers. Their offensive line is iffy at best. They kind of stink right now. Carson Wentz stinks, so I'm backing the Miami Dolphins again. And lastly, before getting into NBA topics tonight, I want to give a quick shout out to the New York Islanders who have lost one regulation game over the last month, basically. It's absolutely insane what they're doing. I have some Islanders fans who are chomping at the bit to get on the show to talk a little Islanders hockey. We should be doing that within the next two weeks. It's a damn shame they're not on Long Island full-time, but this Islanders team is a freaking wagon and and needed a special shout-out, especially since I said no one cares about them in Brooklyn, but you know what? I'm taking notice. Uh, Islanders are on an absolute heater. Okay, on to the NBA, the greatest league in all the lands, as I've said many a times. Now, there is a lot to cover, and my first-time guest tonight will help me do just that. But there are a few things I want to talk about solo, so let's jump right in. The NBA is looking to shake things up a bit. Ratings have been down the last two years, and there are a few possible reasons for this. Uh, One being uh, the NBA politics have clearly rubbed some people the wrong way. Load management is another issue. But the main reason, I think, is that the regular season doesn't seem to matter that much. Load management's a part of that. The length of number, I should say, the number of games is a part of that as well. But there's more to it than just those two reasons. So I give credit to the NBA for trying to be proactive and think outside the box here. I mean, they've been proposing a couple of different things right now. A midseason tournament uh, with 78 regular season games, and the thought is that the teams losing the home games wouldn't lose money because the tournament sponsors and the honeypot that this midseason tournament will create will negate the losses or even be a revenue boost. The only problem with this is, 
getting the players to care about this midseason tournament. And while single elimination is awesome, unless there's major financial incentive, I can't imagine the players really getting on board with this as much as they probably love a single elimination uh, tournament. When will the games take place? The players aren't giving up their all-star break. That's not happening. I don't see them stretching the season out even more. So yeah, and with the um, with all that's happening in the standings, with the standings in flux, with the trade deadline moves and buyout market moves, I just don't see a time where this midseason tournament is really possible. Uh, the NBA has also hinted at reseeding, especially for the conference finals, because the West has been so much stronger than in the East. I know the West owners would love that, but again, this is cyclical and it will change in future years. And honestly, right now you can argue that the top of the East, the top six teams in the East are just as good as the top six West teams. I, I, I'm a little bit of a traditionalist here. I don't see the change between uh, eliminating the conferences and reseeding as being good for the league. I know you want to get the best two teams on board, but I, I ultimately believe that, that West versus East is is best. You only get to see these teams play twice in the regular season, so there's still some mystery in the finals matchup. I like it the way it is. I don't see that happening. The best thing that I do see potentially happening is kind of like a play-in tournament for the 7th and 8th seeds for the um for the last uh, two playoff spots. That would be really awesome. They would have to figure out something with the lottery odds and how that's going to shake out. But out of all the three ideas, I personally think that's the best one. Uh, it has the most promise. A couple of years ago, the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves and the Denver Nuggets place basically played a play-in game. And it was awesome. It was awesome. The only issue was that it wasn't on national TV, but we can work around that. So I, I do like that the NBA is a little proactive, but I don't think the NBA, the bottom line is this with the NBA. I don't think it's reached a breaking point of consumer fatigue yet. Again, we're still in football season a little bit, so they're, they haven't really gotten to the peak of the NBA season Talk to me at the end of this season, see what happens. I don't think they re really need to be reinventing the wheel just yet. The one thing they do need to do is crack down on lo this Loge management bullshit, which right now is really just Kawhi Leonard and the San Antonio Spurs started this with uh, Parker, Ginobili, and Duncan years ago. But the NBA needs to hold teams, owners, and players accountable for it. Players are paid to play 82 games. So if they can and they're healthy to play 82, they should be striving to play 82. The NBA even released a memo of what load management is, but the bottom line is, is that the NBA is better or needs to be better at holding its owners, players, and front offices accountable for having their players play when they can play. And that may include fines. That may include, you know, losing a draft pick. I don't know. I don't know what the uh, the consequences should be if, if people are found guilty of doing this load management type stuff, whatever it is, but the NBA needs to hold the, the organization's players and teams accountable. Um, also, the NBA needs to work with the TV partners to flex games if needed to make sure that the stars are on the court for the primetime games that are on uh, nationally televised games because the NBA, more than any other sport, is a star-driven league. Oh, and the NBA should stay out of politics too. That should be a league-wide mandate, but I've covered that beforehand. 
On another note, Carmelo Anthony was signed by the Portland Trailblazers after being out of the league for about a year after his brief tenure in Houston, which was a sham to begin with, ended. He's back on a team that is in desperate need of him. He's been a little rusty at, to date, no doubt, He's coming, but he's coming off a 25-8 rebound effort where he shot the ball well. He was 4 for 8 from 3. And it's good to see him back in the league to see if he still has some game left to go out on top. Look, Carmelo is flawed. He was and is always been a flawed player. He didn't always handle his business the right way, whether it was negotiating contracts or, or moves between teams or knowing when his time for being the man was up. He didn't always try on defense, which was frustrating. He could be a little bit of a black hole at times, even though he had good passing skills. He wasn't the perfect player. But this notion that you see on Twitter that he's trash and always has been trash. Like some people I talk basketball with seem to suggest this, and it's just flat out wrong. It's this false narrative brought on by these idiots and basketball nerds who don't even know how to tie a pair of sneakers, let alone lace them up and play. Here are the facts. Carmelo's made 10 All-Star games. Six times he was All-NBA, meaning he was one of the six best forwards in the league, one of the 15 best players in the league. The majority of those times came in a stacked and ultra-competitive Western Conference, might I add. He won a scoring title. He was top three in MVP voting in 2012-2013, where he led the Knicks. That's right, the fucking Knicks, the lowly Knicks, to 54 wins. He almost made the finals in 2009, where he went toe-to-toe with Kobe Bryant. The year he played with a really good point guard in Chauncey Billups, who was by far his best teammate, he really almost made the finals. Go back and watch those games again against the Lakers. They were a couple of bounces away from making the finals. He's one of six players in history to average 20 points per game in their first 15 years in their career. The other five, well, guys by the name of Wilt Chamberlain, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Shaquille O'Neal, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yeah, those other five I would say are uh, pretty damn good. So he's in pretty good company there. Yeah, the last few years haven't been great. He got... Old, the style of play in the NBA changed, and he wasn't necessarily quick to adapt. He did some dumb things, and he was stubborn. But his teammates always liked him, and his Knicks teammates had his back when Phil Jackson was acting like a complete asshole to him. And as for his play, again, not perfect, flawed, but his biggest issue was that he was judged against LeBron James. He wasn't LeBron, but guess what? Not many in this league's history have been. But idiots will try to convince you, and they'll try to convince me that he was trash. Fuck out of here with that noise. Put some respect on his name. Recognize greatness. Why I still continue to talk to these people, these idiots, who try to convince me that Carmelo Anthony has always been trash. The same type of people who look to analytics for everything, who also try to convince me that James Harden was better than Kobe Bryant, and when James Harden shoots four for 17 from three, that he's considered efficient. Well, maybe it reinforces the fact that I'm so much smarter than them, and that's why I still talk talk to them, to boost my own ego. Maybe. But put some respect on Carmelo Anthony's name. I hope Portland turns it around and he helps them do that. It would be a great story, a redemption story, and I'm here for it. 
Last thing before getting into tonight's discussion with my new guest, uh, I got to debunk another false narrative. Now, before I get into this, let me preface this by saying I absolutely love Luka Doncic. Everything about him. L-O-V-E. Love Luka Doncic. He's been insane this year so far. Right now, he has the highest PER in NBA history for a season, and he's only 20 years old. It's absolutely insane. Insane what he's doing. He's close to averaging a triple-double. Remarkable stuff. No question about it, remarkable. He's been the biggest story in the league so far. The media is praising him, and rightfully so, and for saying basically he's a walking triple-double and saying things like, quote, we've never seen this before. Only we have because Russell Westbrook, you know, did it for three straight years, average a triple-double. Three years in a row where he hadn't been done since Oscar Robertson in 1961. And these same media members who are praising Luka's rebounding have killed Westbrook for his rebounding, claiming that he was purely stat-chasing. I'm sorry, what? The hypocrisy, it's just unreal. Westbrook was voted MVP the first year he averaged a triple-double, and people in the media claimed, and wrongfully so, might I add, that Harden was the MVP that year. Talk about a, They were talking about him being a stat chaser. Well, James Harden, talk about a stat chaser, and we'll get to him later. Such hypocrisy that I, a beacon of truth and knowledge, won't stand for. Did Russ Westbrook get a few cheap rebounds off missed free throws? Sure, of course. But rebounding is largely an effort thing and having a nose for the ball. And this is coming from somebody who absolutely sucks at rebounding when I play pickup. Basically the worst rebounder in the league. No one plays harder with more effort on a night-to-night basis than Russell Westbrook. And the stats say, especially this year, when in Houston, that there's a major value for when Russ grabs the rebound and pushes it. Same for Luka in Dallas, for that matter. When he grabs the rebound and pushes it, when those guys push it themselves off a miss, it generally comes uh, for, to good things for their team on offense. But yeah, Russ is just a stat chaser, and Luka's the second coming of God in gym shorts. I love Luka. I love Russ. Appreciate greatness, and stop with this false damn narratives and hypocrisy. It's just ridiculous already. And with that being said, now that I've gotten that off my chest, we're going to bring in tonight's guest for his first uh, go-around on For the Love of the Game podcast in just a couple of moments. Okay, so I teased it a little bit earlier in the monologue. I'm bringing in a first-time guest, a very special guest, uh, somebody who has seen me get buckets during pickup, has probably been on the receiving end a couple of pull-up jumpers along, oh, I should say, <laughs> over the years, uh, somebody who made the fatal mistake of moving to the West Coast where it's 75 and sunny and then decided to move back to New York. I don't know why he did that. He tried to explain it to me. I didn't really buy his reasoning, but uh, nonetheless, uh, really happy to have him on. Uh, he's been looking forward to this for a little bit. Yaniv Flegelman. Yaniv, what's cracking, brother? Hey, Aaron. How you doing, man? Yeah, uh, happy to be on. Happy to talk some uh, some hoops. And uh, yeah, like that, that decision is getting worse and worse uh, as, as, the, as the months go on over here as we enter winter. Yeah, you mean, when it was, <laughs> you mean when it was 24 degrees a couple of mornings in early November, it was probably like, yeah, I think I made a bad choice. 
Yeah, you know, I just I needed some seasons. I needed some change. Oh, Every day was, was too pleasant. Ah, seasons are so overrated. So <laughs> overrated. Anyway, so it's so uh you being a, a huge hoops junkie like mm-hmm. I am, um I wanted to start off uh talking about the the talk of the league right now. Luka Doncic, twenty years old. He currently has the highest mm-hmm. PER in NBA history for a season. And yeah, as I mentioned, he's only 20. Uh, he's taken the league by storm. Where did you have Luca ranked in the draft if you were doing your own big board before he was drafted? Yeah, you know, uh, I remember having this uh, argument with my friends before he got drafted. I was very high on Luca. I remember Zafrani also, if you, rem- if you remember Zafrani, he was of also course. very high on Luca. Um, I don't know if I would have taken him number one overall, but I definitely could have seen the arguments. Uh, to me, like these, um, the way these drafts work, it's like those European guys are the ones that you want to try to get. They're like kind of the inefficiency in the market, kind of like how the uh, the NFL undervalues uh, black quarterbacks, in my opinion. Um, you see it with like Wilson, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, they're all taken, you know, much later than they should have been. Uh, so I thought these Euro guys were also just kind of overlooked because they play in Europe. But uh, yeah, no, he's he's a special player for sure. So I mean, yeah. a guy at his size that can handle the ball the way he does, the way he can shoot, create for others, and it's just like a really a guy with a head on his shoulders. Like he knows how to win, he knows how to be a leader of a team. Is uh, yeah, he's a special guy for sure. So I had him ranked number one on my board. And I can say this uh, safely because, you know, I do have a a medium where my opinions are now recorded (laughs) and they're put on on record. And I remember doing my draft preview and we had, I had Luca number one. I had Marvin Bagley, number two. I had uh, Jaron Jackson, number three. Um, I felt pretty good about it. I, I don't understand why the Suns who had the number one pick. I mean, I get it. Like DeAndre Ayton was the local kid from college. And mm-hmm. for some reason, big still goes super high, you know, when there's an exciting big talent uh, coming into the draft. But it was Luca's coach from Slovenia and they passed on him. It was just wild. It, it didn't make any sense. But even as good as I thought he was going to be, and again, he's playing against grown men when he's 15, 16 years old in arguably the second best league in the world. That's got to mean something. And then he was MVP of, uh, of one of those Euro tournaments. They won the whole thing. I mean, that, that's got to mean something, but yeah, with all that said, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think, I mean, a lot of times with these drafts you just, uh, the GMs don't want to get fired. Right. And you knew Aiden was going to be a double, double guy. You don't know how, how good he would be necessarily, but you know, He's a guy that you know is going to produce right away, and there's no really risk in taking him. So I can understand why they took him number one overall, but I agree with you. I thought Luke had a chance to be a special player, and he's uh, proving that, that he, is, he is living up to the hype. But I never anticipated him being this good this early. I mean, this is crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's insane. I mean, the numbers are just out of control right now, but, uh, I mean, you got to kind of – taper those right it's still early in the season and i mean just overall everyone's numbers are up you know you could take anybody in the league and like numbers that we expect today just like they don't mean as much as they once did right like a 30 point score didn't mean what it, what it once did in the league but still the guy just 
he has he has it all. You know, there's there's the only flaws I see so far in his game that he's going to work on. Obviously, he's only 20 years old, but uh, he definitely does some dumb turnovers and takes some very wild, ridiculous shots. So that, that so that was my for. thing also. It, <laughs> but uh, I love the swag though, so, so you can't hate on it too much. Yeah, uh, the turnovers are gonna. I mean, guys who handle the ball that much generally turn the ball over. And, yeah, it, it, it it's funny with turnovers, especially for a guy with his vision. It's like, are his – is it his teammates? Is he one step ahead? Are they not – have they not caught up yeah. to him? Or it, is it just him like being the reckless? Steph, the Steph Curry syndrome is that he's so good. He thinks that, you know, he could do anything possible. But then you never know. You might just uh, throw away a championship with – it's a really dumb, ill-timed turnover. So just something that uh, if I were his coach, I'd tell him that he needs to be working on that, that yeah. part of his game. Uh, yeah, I hear that. But for me, it's it's what I call the the one or two to three Hardens, those <clears> dumb <throat> step-back threes that just, like, don't even come close where they're just not a good shot. Like, if he just eliminates, like, two or three of those a game, I mean, the, the sky's the limit. I mean, right now he's challenging for the MVP. Uh, and, and if he cleans that up and if he gets a little bit more athletic and continues to work on his body, I mean, like, like how high could this go? Yeah. I mean, I think that he could actually challenge for MVP this year. I mean, the Mavs, uh, they got to a great start, obviously they're number one in the league in net rating. And we're like almost at December. So it's, it's not a fluke at this point. Um, and also Porzingis has been. Pretty shaky, I think, uh, coming back He's from been injury. Up and down. So you would you would think that he would get better over the course of the season. That's obviously their second best player in their team. So I mean, there's a chance that they're like a two or three seed, and he continues to put up these numbers. And you know, you get voter fatigue for for Giannis, and you know, it's possible. So I, the thing about Porzingis is, is remember, like he hadn't played live NBA games in like 20 months, right? So he's still getting back. It takes like a year, but even in his rusty year, he's still averaging like 19 and nine, right? And you can only, you should imagine that a guy of his talent, who's, you know, an all NBA caliber player when healthy and right, when he gets his legs underneath him a little bit, like he should get better. Now, I don't necessarily see them climbing up to a top four seed, but a four or five, uh, you know, I should say a top three seed, but a four or a five seed is for sure realistic. I mean, if this guy is going to do this or a little bit less than this all year, I mean, they're for sure a middle of the pack Western Conference team, and that's exceedingly impressive. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I mean, I don't know how you feel about the other Western Conference teams, but I'm, I'm personally not as high in Denver and Utah's. Some some folks may be. I mean, people are saying that they're legit contenders i i just don't see it as of yet um i think the rockets from the west besides for obviously the two la teams is the third team that i could see challenging potentially for uh for the championship just because the style of their play well we'll get into um, that but yeah definitely later. they're they're one of the top teams top four yeah we're gonna we're gonna book. we're gonna have to talk about the rockets in a little bit uh i have some thoughts <laughs> um but I, I didn't see the Mavericks. I mm. thought they were going to be a bubble playoff team, a fringe playoff team before the year. Obviously, a couple of things broke right. This uh, this Golden State Warriors situation mm. went crazy. I mean, the Blazers mm. have struggled. But, yeah, the Mavericks, a four or five seed is exceedingly realistic in the West. And 
considering this franchise had been mm-hmm. in quicksand. You know, they had Dirk. They won the title in 2011. They opted to not necessarily run it back. They let Chandler walk. They were trying to, you know, hit home runs in free agency, whether it was Dwight Howard at the time. It was Darren Williams. And they basically were in purgatory and in no man's land. And then all of a sudden they get a trade for this guy. They trade up from five to three to be able to draft him. And, yeah, Trey Young is great and could be a multiple-time All-Star. But we're looking at a multiple-time MVP and and the – that that's a win. That's a win for the Mavericks. Yeah. Eleven times out of ten, and twice on Sunday, and it's just crazy. I mean, the the turnaround is fast. It's really really fast. And when yeah, you look I mean, at that's, yeah, that's, sorry, that's going to be one of those um, you know Kobe trades where we're going to look back on that in ten years and be like, what the hell was <laughs> were the Hawks thinking trading trading Luca for Trey? I guess they watched too many Steph Curry tapes and just fell in love with like, the little guy that could shoot. What's crazy about you mentioned the Kobe Bryant trade draft day. The GM of the Charlotte Hornets that year, Kobe's rookie year, won executive of the year. Like you can't even make this up. It's it's so wild to me. That's wild. It's wild to me. And like Jerry West is cackling on the other side because he just paired, you know, Kobe and Shaq, and we saw how that worked out. It's just weird. I mean, Luca. we talk about the NFL and, and the NBA ratings right now are a little down. They were down last year. They're a little down now because they're competing with the NFL. But honestly, on Sunday, Luka Doncic was the best thing I saw uh, all weekend in terms of sports. And transitioning into the next topic, last night, Giannis was probably the best thing I saw all night too. <laughs> So anybody yeah. who's claiming that the NBA isn't interesting is just not paying attention. So let's let's move on to Milwaukee for a second. So honestly, they're they're really the most under the radar, under talked about team in the league right now. They've casually won eight straight. They lost Brogdon in the offseason. Middleton is hurt, but Giannis, who just put a fifty burger on the Jazz, you know Rudy Gobert wasn't playing, but still, and he's gotten better. I mean, Giannis is second in the league in PER. Um, and he's, it would be the second highest PR in NBA history. It's like, he's across from like LeBron James and Shaq. So, I mean, what are you seeing from Giannis right now? And, and could he realistically, I mean, he's got to be the favorite to win back-to-back MVPs, no? Yeah. I mean, he's definitely going to be the favorite. Um, I mean, the way the league is now, I feel like they're, they're not going to vote for him just because if there's somebody, you know, with as many qualifications and the top two seed, then we'll just vote for the other guy because they don't like giving back-to-back MVPs. Um, but, yeah, I mean, to me, the Bucks are just – they're first of all going to really regret the Brogdon trade. I mean, you could see how good the Pacers are with, like, a very not good roster. They're like a top four – almost top four team in the East. Brogdon was just really, really good. Um, and he's kind of like – I don't know how many Bucks games you've watched, uh, but down the stretch of all those games – the ball was in Brogdon's hands. It wasn't in Giannis's hands because Brogdon can, you know, dribble. He could shoot. He could get to the basket. He's a 50-40-90 guy. Um, and those are things that you need, especially down the stretch of a playoff game, um, which kind of brings me back to the point that Milwaukee, to me, is just a kind of second-round team, maybe third-round team uh, in the East uh, since they lost their second-best player. And Giannis just still, as great as he is, he just – can't handle the ball or, or hit, hit the jump shot consistently. Um, and we all know in the playoffs, 
when teams can scout you out and, you know, pack the paint and the rest of the squad isn't that great and isn't that reliable, I, I just see them uh, flaming out again in the playoffs. So you touched on a couple of things that uh, that I wanted to get into. Uh, the first is, I mean, in terms of the uh, the back-to-back MVPs, it wasn't that long ago. I mean, Steph Curry won back-to-back MVPs. Steve Nash won back-to-back MVPs about a decade ago. Right. Uh, so, I mean, it's but not he, that uncommon. Right. But I think with, with those, like, with, if you remember, obviously everybody remembers Steph, uh, but he was, like, revolutionizing the NBA, you know, like, Every night was kind of must-see TV with Steph. He was hitting 35-footers, pulling up from half court to, like, win the game. Like, he was doing some insane stuff. And, like, Giannis, yeah, his numbers are insane. But, I mean, he's kind of boring to watch sometimes. And he has some highlight dunks. But, you know, he just manhandles smaller guys in the paint since he's a foot eleven, you know, built like a truck. But he's also, like, a, sw- a swing man. And so no one can really match up with him one-on-one. So I don't know. I don't know if he garners the same kind of interest uh, that a Steph Curry did when Steph Curry was doing his thing. Yeah. I so mean, the, the aesthetics you know? uh, for sure, especially with the rise uh, in the, um, you know, with the three point shot, I mean, the aesthetics may not be there, but I personally think watching Giannis is awesome, but you, you touched on something again in terms of Milwaukee as a playoff contender. So they lose Brogdon in free agency. Um, and there was the whole debate of whether Milwaukee, a small market team, should go into the luxury tax to pay, you know, to pay Brogdon and pay Middleton and basically run it back, right? Mm-hmm. Assuming Giannis is going to take the leap. And Giannis has taken another leap forward. I mean, he's making he's making threes now at a clip where he needs to be respected out there. Like, it, it may not look the prettiest and it may not necessarily be the highest percentage, but if he hits 32, 33% from three, which he's not far off from there right now, like, I mean, what are you going to do? Because you have to get out there. He garners enough respect to get out there. And maybe they thought that they could piece together Brogdon's production with other guys, whether it was Wes Matthews, Kyle Carver, and put together all these dudes. And Giannis makes the leap, and they still have Middleton, who's actually been hurt right now and you know, it doesn't seem to matter to the Bucks because Giannis has just been crazy. Uh, that right. that was going to be the the difference. But again, as we've seen in the NBA over the last couple of years, uh, which you touched on a little bit, is that there's a stark difference between NBA regular season basketball and playoff basketball. The style's completely different. The flow of the game is completely different. And so you're saying that you don't necessarily buy Milwaukee as a playoff contender per se. You just like them to be a really good regular season team. And the Brogdon thing is the difference. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely. I mean, I, I thought it was obvious that it seemed like, you know, to a lot of writers are talking about this, but you should have sold Bledsoe high, right? He was putting up some crazy numbers last year. I think he might have been an all-star. I don't know if he was or not. He, he, was, he was up there. He was up for consideration. Middleton ended up getting the uh, nod. But they signed Bledsoe right. middle of the year yeah, to a $17 million a year contract, which in the playoffs last year, he was atrocious. And that may have yeah, cost them Brogdon. That was the move. You trade, you trade Bledsoe, you pay Brogdon, right? You trade Bledsoe for a couple of role players, maybe a second-round draft pick. Yeah, and you, you sign Brogdon, who, I mean – to me, at least, it's, it seemed obvious he was—he was the guy that, like, you know, was making all the plays down the stretch. He was really the, the key guy in their team, and he was fifty, forty, ninety. Like, 
to me that that would have been the move and I would have kind of bought into Milwaukee a little bit more, but the way that the roster is constructed now, right. Having, you know, too many Bledsoe minutes and then relying on guys like even Chenzo who's been good in Connington uh, just to, you know, perform in the playoffs night in, night out on the road, et cetera. Um, against, you know, the Boston Celtics and the Sixers of the world. Uh, I just don't see them really making that leap into the finals. Unfortunately, so, and, and that brings, and, and that, I actually have some oh, theories sorry. on where and what what's going to end up on the on the Giannis situation. So that okay, so term. hold on, so that so that's the thing, right? So this Milwaukee Bucks decision not to go into the tax to pay Brogdon, I mean, could have potentially cost Milwaukee a title, right? And Giannis, his free agency is in twenty twenty one in two years. So right now you're seeing a little bit of the same roadmap, or at least you can see it. Uh, of the uh, of the situation that the Cleveland Cavaliers faced with LeBron in 2009-2010. This is staring them in the face. So, okay, with that being said, uh, and, and we all know how that played out with LeBron bolting for Miami. Uh, you have a theory on Giannis's impending free agency in two years. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think he's going to the rafters, is my, is my personal opinion. Um, the connections there with Masai, right? They're both Nigerian. Uh, I think the Raptors are emerging in the league uh, as a spot that develops talents. I mean, just look at Siakam's development over the past couple of years. Crazy. He went from like, you know, five points a game to like now almost a top 10 MVP uh, candidate. Uh, you have OG and Anobi making strides, Fred Van Vliet. I mean, the list just goes on. They're kind of turning into like the better version of the Spurs. At this point, um, and on top of that, Toronto is a great place for you know that that NBA uh, superstar who doesn't want to be in the limelight at all times, right? You had that with Kawhi; he just won a championship there. He loved his time over there. Obviously, he has his LA roots, so he made it back, and it's a great decision for him. But uh, I could definitely see Giannis uh, going to the Raptors, especially since they're they're going to be one of those teams that's just going to be you know in the playoffs every year competing have, has, have some good talent and all they're missing is that, you know, next superstar. So I, I could definitely see him going to Toronto in a couple of years. Oh, so you're not buying the, uh, the rumors that, that the Knicks are targeting Masai and Giannis. You're not, you're not, yeah. buying, the, you're not <laughs> buying the hype. No. So we've, I love that we've been Knicks fans. <laughs> I, I mean, I have a better chance at landing a, landing a date with Kate Beckinsale than for the Knicks to play. But uh, anyway, I mean, trust me, I, I would love that more than anything, but uh, realistically speaking, no, that's, that's, that's not happening. <laughs> no, because we can't have nice things ever. Anyway, you mentioned the Sixers <laughs> as another team in the East. They've had a very weird start. Um, it's been a weird team so far, punctuated by last night's loss in Toronto where M- Joel Embiid went 0 for 11 uh, and had scored zero points and had four turnovers. Just a weird team. Uh, this was a team that I picked to make the finals uh, and represent the East uh, before the season. It's just a weird mix. What do you make of this Philly team? Yeah, I mean, you said it. It's just a, a kind of weirdly constructed roster. I mean, they don't – they still don't have enough shooting. Um, I mean, I, I don't really understand – taking uh, Tobias Harris over Butler. I don't know if that was an option or not, but I guess locker room-wise, that makes sense. But stylistically on the court, uh, 
I definitely think they would would have been better off with Butler. Um, but I mean, having said all that, I still think that they're you know either probably either them or or the Celtics that are coming out of the East to me. Um, and I might even give the nod to Philly just because they just have so much length. Um, and they have, obviously they have Embiid and now they have Horford's leadership as well. And, you know, they, it's obviously a, a challenge for them. It's been a challenge for them starting the, the season. No one really knows their role just yet or where they should be stationed, how everyone likes to play. Um, uh, but they'll, you know, learn that over time. Um, and they have that, um, crazy shooter coming off the bench. I, I forget his name, but, um, yeah, they, they're, they're a stacked team. Uh, my biggest concern with them. Actually, probably have a couple of concerns with them is, um, you know, first of all, MB to me just seems a little bit too clownish uh, to be to be a champion. Um, although the competition has gotten, um, you know, there's less competition in the East, so it may not matter. But is there? The hold on day. one second. Is there less competition in the East because I well, think, I mean, I, I think, think I think last year's Raptors team was obviously a lot better than any team in the East this year. To me, um, I mean, obviously they, they took down the Warriors and, um, you know, even with Kevin Durant, um, it was still, you know, a very 50-50 battle. Um, so they, they were just an excellent team. Um, and I don't think anybody's at that caliber this year. Uh, in the yeah, East, but there right? Isn't, but Milwaukee, hold on, like so you mentioned, just, I thought just, got a little bit re- worse. Just a retort there for a sec. But I don't, yeah. I don't think there's a team you know, on the West this year, that's as good as Golden State was last year. Um, and I think the top of the East mm. is really deep. I, you know, I, I'm higher on Milwaukee than you are. Um, I think the Miami yeah. Heat are a nasty team. The Celtics have, are off to a hot start. I think uh, Philly is weird, mm. but, but supremely talented, but weird. And then this Bucks, I mean, this Pacers team, if they get Oladipo back, you know that that that's a all of a sudden that's a really good team. That's six teams. That's six or five or six teams that's that are actually really good. Yeah. No. No. I I agree. I think it's deeper than last year's. Like uh, like you mentioned, there's a lot more. Like all all teams that you mentioned could realistically make the finals, and they would put up a good fight against whoever that comes out of the West. Uh, but to me, the the Raptors team last year was just. And also the Bucks team as well. They were just both just two really, really good teams. And they both would have um, – I, I think both – either one of those two teams, whoever came out, would have had a good shot against Golden State, even if Golden State had uh, had Durant playing. Interesting. Interesting. But, uh, yeah, I mean, with the Sixers weird. also, just like the Brett Brown situation, I mean, he just doesn't really seem like he knows what he's doing. Um, half the time, the guys aren't really in the right spots doesn't seem to get the most out of his players. Um, so I do have some concerns over there. But, yeah, I mean, if I had to pick today, I guess I would probably I – I, even with all those concerns, I would still take Philly to come out of the East uh, just because they have so much length and uh, at every position. Um, and they could play both sides of the ball. And, you know, with, with the added shooting that they got this year, um, and they have Al Horford as well, uh, I think Ben Simmons' lack of uh, of aggression in the playoffs will be less of a of a hindrance to their success this year. I 
I think I'm switching it up. I think I'm going to take Milwaukee. I've just, from what I've seen from Giannis this year, I think it's just a different year and he's in absolutely screw you mode. And my biggest <laughs> fear, my biggest fear with Philly was at the end of those, that playoff series where they were literally a bounce away from maybe going to the finals, um, was Jimmy Butler was orchestrating everything down the stretch. He was the dude. And that guy's not there right now. And unless Embiid is going to be that guy, I don't know how they can manufacture enough offense. So I'm going to actually roll with uh, Milwaukee. Uh, Another confusing guy, moving on to topic number four, another confusing guy, Andrew Wiggins, right? Uh, Number one pick a couple of years ago in 2014 had all the hype and all the talent coming out out of high school, was the number one pick in the draft, as I mentioned. He's largely been terrible since he's been in the league, but this year he's been a different player. Are you buying this? Um, are you? Do you think he can sustain this? He's being efficient. I mean, he's been a cock tease forever. What do you make of Wiggins right now? Yeah, you know, Wiggins is, uh, is an interesting NBA case. I mean, I think we've seen a case like him before where the supremely talented guy comes into the league, kind of doesn't, doesn't like – give a shit most nights because 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 of how talented he is um and he kind of had a wake wake up call uh i think you couple that with the fact that they're now playing him in more favorable positions right they're not letting him take as many long twos he's playing a a lot more in the posts against undersized defenders and that's allowing him to just take you know more efficient shots and that's leading to him just being a better player overall so i think the answer to that question is probably somewhere in between. Like, I don't think we're going to see the same, uh, you know, uh, crappy um, five for 25 nights, uh, you know, shooting like 38% or whatever for, for a, you know, for a couple of months at a time. I think we'll probably see a guy who's, um, you know, playing up to his potential, uh, not all the way, but will be a consistent scorer, more consistent player. Um, and, you know, he's still pretty young, whatever he is, 23, 24 years old. Yeah. 24. Um, so, yeah, so so he's he's getting better. I think I think it is sustainable. I just think he was in the wrong situation and he uh, kind of needed a wake up call. It's like, hey, it's time for another contract, right? Like you you can't rest on your laurels anymore. You gotta you gotta get better. Uh, and I think he's he's proven that that he put in the work this summer. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna jump on the Wiggins bandwagon just yet. I'm gonna be the guy who's late to the party if the party happens. Uh, that's just gonna be me. <laughs> With him, I'm a skeptic. I, I just am. Like, you got to prove it to me over a sustained amount of time, over half a year before I can really get excited. I, I just can't. I, I can't do it. Lastly, <laughs> the Houston Rockets. You mentioned them a little bit earlier. They won eight straight, and now they lost three in a row. Um, you mentioned them as being one of the three best teams in the West. Um <clears throat> What do you make of them in terms of the, a little bit of the inconsistency? What do you make of the Harden-Westbrook combo? Um, what are your feelings on Houston? Sure, yeah. I mean, uh, I would say going into the season, I was very, very lukewarm on the, the Harden and Westbrook pair, uh, pairing. Um, I'm, I'm just not a huge fan of, of Westbrook's game. Um, although I, I will say this year, I'm kind of liking it a lot more. Um, I think. Houston's being really smart with him. They're just kind of using him as a guy to push the pace and to set up teammates, which is actually what he's great at and what he he should be doing. Um, he's obviously not a really great three-point shooter, so that uh, kind of goes against their philosophy a little bit. But 
Um, yeah, as long as he, he keeps attacking the basket. And, you know, I kind of remember years ago when he was at his height, uh, he was so good at just grabbing the rebound, racing down the court and pulling up from the foul line and like being money with that shot. And it seems this year that he kind of like got back that a little more and he's, he's actually hitting a, at a high clip. Uh, so if he could sustain that, um, I really think Houston has a shot uh, to kind of like shock the NBA world a little bit. I mean, they're kind of always overlooked because stylistically. But are they overlooked? Just... Are they really? Well, I think, yeah, I think I think the Rockets themselves, right, they obviously think a lot of themselves, but the rest of the league is kind of like, you guys are a bunch of clowns. You you know, you play this like gimmicky style of basketball, which they kind of do, right? They're their whole thing is just shooting as many threes as possible. And they're you know, playing glorified street they'll ball. Hit, they'll hit enough to win. <laughs> they're playing glorified street ball. And no one loves the Rockets and thinks the Rockets are more underappreciated than the Houston Rockets. Um, right, right. Before, before, yeah. before I go on my little diatribe about the Houston Rockets, and I'm going to in a second, uh, James Harden. Uh, James Harden's averaging over, uh, over 38 points a game. He's been, you know, crazy. He's got... Wait, can, can you say that again? How much is he averaging? 38 points a game. Um, his shooting he number... He averages 38 points every NBA professional basketball game that he played. That's yep. just insane. Yep. His <laughs> shooting numbers are, are down. Um, his three-point percentage is down. His field goal percentage is down. The analytics nerds will try and tell me that he's exceedingly efficient, even though when he goes four for 17 from three, because apparently misses are worth more than zero. But the last time I checked, zero times three is zero. Whatever. Um, I'm going to get into that in a second. But what what are your feelings on Harden? Do you like watching Harden play like like, give me your hard intake, and then I'm gonna, and then I'm gonna go into my soliloquy here. Yeah. So, um, Harden, I, I used to like, I used to like watching him a lot more. I'll say that um, the way he could just break down a player off the dribble, right, with his step backs and his, you know, between the legs, crossover four or five times until the guy, until the guy like kind of loses balance and he's like blows by him. Um, I think he's just a very unique player that's fun to watch at times, but they started changing all these rules and started calling, right, the foul if the guy's in your vicinity or, like, the reach-in, right? You used to be able to hand-check in the NBA. They don't allow that anymore. And Harden's taking it to the next level where he actually grabs the defender's arm and forces uh, the contact and makes the ref make a call. Um, so I think, I think the NBA should just – right? Just ref those things out of the league, right? They kind of did it with Shaq. They stopped allowing the three in the key and like they did other things to kind of make it a little bit more fair because at this point, Harden is just taking advantage of the rules and it's kind of like not in the, not in the spirit of the game and it's kind of ruining it, I think, for a lot of fans, um, myself included. So I think if they just got rid of all those phantom fouls, then uh, he'd, he'd be a lot... Uh, more more enjoyable to watch, uh, but I mean the guy is just a phenomenal player. Um, there's no really stopping him. Um, I do think that uh, a lot of his playoff uh, kind of blunders, right? His percentages go down. His team hasn't made it all the way. Um, a lot of that is due to the you know kind of his fault and the coaching staff's fault, where they you know would play him 42 minutes in a blowout because they want to they want him to win MVP and like rack up all these numbers and then come playoff times, he has no more likes and he can't hit shots. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know where I was going with this, but I, I just think he's a phenomenal player that they kind of have to change the rules and stop letting him take advantage of all these, like, silly ticky-tack foul calls and get into line, like, the 20 times a game. <laughs> so I don't necessarily think they need to change the rules because I think the referees, when they prepare for a playoff series, and you've seen this in his numbers, right? <clears throat> when they prepare for a playoff series, just like, coaches and players do they prepare for all his shenanigans and the foul hunting you know Lou Williams was a victim of this too in the regular season Lou Williams would go to the line 12 times a game in the playoffs the stuff wouldn't work as much because they're looking for it right which is a good thing because Harden you know egregiously hunts for fouls and he flops and he travels basically every time he touches the ball right um especially on that step back three Here's my thing with James Harden. I am not going to deny that the guy is exceedingly talented offensively. Uh, His handle is exceedingly crisp. I mean, him, Chris Paul, Steph Curry, and Kyrie Irving have some of the best pure handles I've ever seen. Um, The guy's got an array of shots that that are really, really unbelievable. And he's got really good court vision, too. And... Which is a shame because he holds the ball so much and and I don't think you can win a game playing that way where he just holds the ball all the time. And then when he's not involved in the play, he legitimately just stands on the side with his hands on his hips and takes a rest. Uh-huh. I mean, that's not you, the way... You realize, you realize you're, you're describing LeBron James. <laughs> no, no, well, LeBron when he's... To a certain extent. LeBron when that's he's LeBron disengaged. Yeah, but that but that's LeBron last year when he's when he's disengaged or when he's with Cleveland and he's putting up a stink. But this is like the way James Harden plays all the time. And my biggest thing with James Harden is with all the regular season accolades, like at a certain point, so what? Right? So what? I mean, it's no coincidence that your teams com- and you in particular, every single series, from game one through the end of the series, his numbers go down each game, right? His teams generally come up short. And credit to them that they've been all, the only team in the West to really challenge the Warriors. But, like, there's a reason why his teams go 0 for 27 from 3, right? There's a reason for it because they play this ridiculous brand of ball. They don't – it's glorified street ball. They don't – you know, adapt to situations. They aren't versatile in the way they're able to play. And my the, the last thing is with him, and he's like the Carl Malone of, and Zach Lowe said this on Bill Simmons's podcast, so I'm going to steal it from Zach. He's the Carl Malone of, of shooting guards, right? You're going to have big numbers, insane numbers. But like at the end of the day, comes up small in the playoffs and never and hasn't had a signature moment to date. Uh, in the playoffs. I mean, he could change the narrative. I just don't see him changing the narrative. And part of me is this, right? They talk about him losing his legs or whatever. How about this, dude? You know, NBA players are on Instagram and videoing things all the time, and he's constantly videoing him playing pickup and playing, you know, and trying these different trick shots, one foot off the, you know, threes off the, off one foot, off the wrong foot or whatever. How about this, man? Instead of taking those ridiculous ass shots that you're never going to use in a game or they're never going to go in in a game, why don't you run a couple of extra sprints so you don't have that extra 15 pounds, 10 pounds on you that your legs are lighter and you'll be able to have your legs for a regular season. Maybe take conditioning seriously. How about that? You won't (laughs) lose your legs. 
So, like, don't tell so, me that this guy is is so great because he clearly doesn't care enough in the offseason to be great considering how D'Antoni plays him that he's going to be fresh in the regular season. Like, you train in the offseason to be able to go at the end of regular seasons and in the playoffs. That's where bodies are made, in the offseason. So maybe concentrate on conditioning a little bit more, maybe get a nutritionist, and I shouldn't be seeing videos of you doing a half-assed boxing workout with a gut in the offseason. All right, that's, that's fair. That's fair. I'll give you a little rebuttal. And I've always had this conversation with, about the Rockets because most of my friends hate the Rockets. Um, but, you know, you mentioned the narrative uh, that the Rockets always come up short in the playoffs and he hasn't had a signature, like, moment in the playoffs. But, I mean, if you recall, no one really gave the Rockets a shot at all against the Warriors. And this is, like, the Warriors at their height, right? They just got Kevin Durant. They were taking the league by storm. Like, no one had a, a shot at all to even compete with the Rockets compete with the Warriors and the Rockets took them to game seven and were right a couple of shots away from actually winning that series when no one in the league even gave them a shot. Um, so I think it's a little unfair to say that Harden hasn't achieved anything because his team was, were never really expected to be the best team in the league. Uh, but so I think the Rockets have exceeded expectation uh, versus like what was right versus the perception of how good their team was for the past uh, few years. And, a lot of that credit has to go to Harden. I mean, he had some phenomenal games against the Warriors in, in those series, um, right? His shooting percentage probably weren't as high as as, as we'd, we'd like it to be, but everyone in the playoffs has their shooting numbers typically go down unless you're like Kevin Durant, where like literally there's no defense in the world that can that can stop you. Fine. Um, so I think I think the, the the argument that the Rockets always come up short in the playoffs is a little bit unfair since they're generally not really favored or expected to win these uh, these series. But how many times in the last five years have they had crushing losses, whether it was in against the San Antonio Spurs at home in Game 7 with no Kawhi and no Tony Parker, they lose by 40, right? They lost to um, the up 3-2 against Golden State, then in Game 7 shoot 0 for 27. Then Kevin Durant is hurt, right? And this is the Rockets' window, and then all of a sudden Steph Curry, who's having who's scoreless, scoreless in game six, right? Scoreless on in Houston's home gym, scoreless in the first half, comes out and drops 33 in the second half and beats the Rockets. So you can't, you can't have it both ways, right? And part of this is the Rockets doing because no one pats themselves on the back more than Daryl Morey and the Houston Rockets. But you can't have it right. both ways. You just can't. And as far as I, I just, I, I can't, stand them for all those reasons that they hype themselves up, that they're not versatile, that they're just the epitome of what have you done for me lately? And it's just like, if he goes on a stretch where he scores 40 points, eight straight games in December, like I just don't care. I don't care. Do it when it matters. And, and then to compound that, when the analytics nerds who never get anything right because they probably never laced up sneakers and actually played, but they think they can crunch numbers, they don't realize that sports has an emotion and a psychological aspect to it, whatever, that's, that's, that's uh, an overarching theme here. But when you try and tell me that James Harden, with what he has accomplished in his career, is better than Kobe Bryant, that's where I, get, I start to get really angry and flip on the rock. It's like even more than I already don't like the Rockets. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I don't like making player comparisons while while guys are still right in their career. Like, I don't know how you could compare Kobe and James Harden right now. Let's wait till their careers are over. Um, but again, I mean, you mentioned uh, Steph Curry went crazy in that Game Seven. Uh, six Game Seven. Kevin Durant game was six. down, but you know the Rockets didn't have Chris Paul, and their second best player was I don't know PJ Tucker. You know. Um, well, so, no, no, not that wasn't that wasn't last year. They had Chris Paul. They that was the year before when they're up three two and Chris Paul got hurt. Right, right, Chris Paul. Right, whatever it was. I mean, last year Paul was again, healthy. Like, yeah, I, they. I, I hear exactly what you're saying, and that's the reason why I, I don't like watching them. And I think Dal Moore is kind of a douche of a guy, and you know that that whole thing where they wrote a whole letter about all the foul calls that were missed. I mean, that was just kind of pathetic yeah. <laughs> from an organizational standpoint. Uh, but at the same time, if I had to pick a team, uh, right, that's not as talented as, you know, maybe the Clippers or the Lakers, uh, but could get it done, it's going to be the Rockets. And the main part is because James Harden is just really unguardable. Interesting, interesting. So where as, do you as, – As ugly as his, uh, his game could be at, at times and hard to watch. yeah. Where so where do you think they finish this season? Um, all said and done. All said and done, they're you know it's, it's probably a three seed. Um, yeah, the, the, probably probably a three or four seed uh, behind the Clippers and the Lakers. I mean, my my pick since since day one is the Clippers uh, to win it all. Um, I just think their their team is just so stacked. Uh, when you have Paul George, Kawhi. Lou Williams, Montrez Harrell, and whoever the fifth wants to be, let it be a Landry Shamit. There's a bunch of guys who know how to win, know how to create offense, could shoot from the mid-range, the three, great in the pick and roll, and could all defend, um, right? You know, Sands, probably Lou Williams. Um, there's just a tough, it's going to be a really tough out, and I think the Lakers are just a couple of players away from really competing for a title. Well, we'll see how it all shakes out. Uh, Yaniv, you did really well. You got called up to the big leagues for a first time. This was pretty good. Uh, always a pleasure to speak to you. Sorry to have to cut you off a little bit, but the studio's kicking me out because we've uh, gone yeah, it's on been a, a little pleasure. long. Um, hope to do this again soon and, uh, and see you around New York City now that you're back. Yeah, see you around. All right, all have right, a good one. Care, speak man. to you soon. Bye. All right, uh, great conversation with first-time guest Yaniv Fliegelman diving into a lot of things NBA. That's a wrap, episode 64 for the love of the game. Take us out, Jay Scarface to the Beanie Seeds. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.